0: We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And we're seeing Jesus as the perfect man, the Savior, the substitute, and the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, we're continuing this morning. We're seeing the beginning of the public ministry of Christ. And as we focus this morning, we're really going to look at two things. First of all, we're going to see Jesus, the temptation in the wilderness. That's most of the passage. That's the first 13 verses. But we're going to see that. And then we'll see a summary of his teaching in the synagogue. So those two things are the keys this morning as we study we're going to see I think one of the most famous passages in the Bible that's the temptation of Jesus by the devil in the wilderness and here's some things to think about why was Jesus tempted could he have sinned what do we learn or what can we learn about temptation of course the goal is that we as we study your word and study the word of God God's perfect word that we can make application in our lives now as we begin think about this we are tempted every day We're pulled to do wrong. James chapter 1 verse 13 says that when we are tempted, we are cared about by our own lust, by our own flesh to sin. Temptation is constant in our lives. We live in a fallen world. And how do we deal with temptation? As we study the Bible, we see that there's both times of failure and victory. I mean, we think about David, and he was tempted. There was the failure, the sin with Bathsheba, and he failed. And then we think about the victory. You see Joseph, and he was with Potiphar's wife, and, and she was tempting him in a sense, and he fled and had victory. We want to have victory. I think every one of us in this room would say we would love to have victory in the Christian lives over sin and temptation in our lives. Well, as we study this morning, we're seeing the temptation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's in the wilderness and the devil comes to him. We'll see a contrast between really what the first man, who's Adam, who's often called the first Adam, and in Jesus Christ, who's called the second Adam. The first Adam is in the garden. Now think about it. Adam is in the garden. He is tempted. He fails. Jesus is in the wilderness he is tempted and he has victory as we study this morning we want to see truths concerning the temptation of our savior but not only more than that we want to see how we can gain victory in temptation because every one of us in this room we experience it every day. How can we have victory? Well, let's begin. We are seeing the begin, beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We saw that he left the northern part of Israel, which is called Galilee. The Sea of Galilee's is up there. Capernaum's up there. Nazareth is up there. Cana of Galilee. All of that part. He left that. He had been living in Nazareth and came all the way down south, past Jerusalem, out into the wilderness area by the Jordan River. He came down there to be baptized by John the Baptist. This was the beginning of his public ministry. And it was a very special event because we saw the Trinity in that passage. In fact, in Luke chapter... 3 verses basically 21 and 22 you see the trinity you see the son in the water you see the holy spirit come down as a dove and you hear the voice of the father saying this is my beloved son so that was pretty special we saw that last week now before jesus goes back to galilee and it may surprise you but most of the ministry that jesus does for those three three and a half years is in the northern part of israel I mean, most of us around Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth, Cana, the, the 12 cities and the 10 cities, all those little areas up there, that's where he stayed. Now, sometimes he would come down to the south, come to the big city, Jerusalem, and then go back to the north. Before he leaves the southern part of Israel and goes back to the north, he um, something's going to have to happen. Something's going to have to happen And this is this temptation And we're going to talk about Why was Jesus tempted Several things I want you to think about Why would Jesus be tempted For The first is dual To show that Jesus is the sinless son of God That's one of the reasons he was tempted To show that he is perfect To show that he cannot sin To show that he is God There's a second thing that we're going to see As a contrast between the first Adam who sin and failure in the garden That's Adam in the garden With the last Adam That's Jesus Who had victory in the wilderness As I mentioned a while ago Here was Adam Adam in the garden and he failed. Here's Jesus in the wilderness. And he has victory. So this morning we're going to uh, see how all this ties together. Let me break down the entire chapter. Chapter 4 is long. It's 44 verses. Let me break it down for you. Uh, the, first of all, we're going to start with the temptation of Jesus. That's the first 13 verses. That's what we'll see this morning. And then we'll also see the summary of the ministry. We'll put those two verses together, 14 and 15. gives us a big overview of the ministry. Then next week, as we'll continue, we'll see Jesus teaching at Nazareth in verses 16 through 30. And then he goes and teaches at Capernaum, which is where his headquarters were. J- Jesus grew up in Nazareth he goes back to his hometown to do some teaching we'll see what happens when he goes back there and then he goes to Capernaum and that's where he has most of the ministry in that area so we'll see those things this morning just the first two part the temptation and the summary well let's see the temptation it's pretty powerful the events this event follows directly after his baptism his baptism sort of set him apart in the beginning of the ministry but before he can begin this ministry he must be tested Is he the perfect son of God? Is he going to be able to be the sacrifice for our sins? Is he going to be able to be our substitute? You remember the lamb that takes away the sin of the world must be the spotless lamb of God without blemish. That Jesus was tempted to prove that he indeed is the perfect son. Sinless Son of God. Let's see what happens. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 1. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. It says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now, he was baptized in the Jordan River. After that, it then says that the Holy Spirit, he was full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness. When you think about the Gospels, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course the Gospels, each one presents Jesus in a different way. We told you at the very beginning, Matthew shows Jesus as the king, Mark shows him as a servant, Luke shows him as the perfect man, and John shows him as God. Well, think about it. Matthew, who shows him as the king, says the Holy Spirit led him. Mark shows him as a servant, says the Holy Spirit sent him. Luke shows him as the perfect man, and it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. You understand that the perfect man is always full of the Holy Spirit. And so here he is. It says that being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, left the Jordan River, and was led by. By the Spirit, Notice it's the Holy Spirit leading him in the wilderness for 40 days. So he's going to be taken out into a wilderness area. Now when you think of wilderness, don't think of trees and things like a forest. Think of barren, nothing. There's just rocks. There's nothing out there. And so he's led out into a wilderness area by the Spirit. This is not something he just decided to do. This is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus to go out in here. This is from God. This is the plan. Now, there's a contrast here between Adam in the garden and Jesus in the wilderness. Adam in the garden failed. Jesus in the wilderness had victory. Notice what it says. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now, 40 days, you know, some people talk about, there's a whole study on numerology that talk about all the different numbers in the Bible. And the 3 is the is the picture of God is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And 5 is grace. And 6 is the number of man. 7 is the number of God in the spirit aspect. 8 is the number for new beginnings. 12 is that number for the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. And then the number 40. People talk about the number 40. And they always say number 40 always has an idea of testing, something special about 40. Well, you remember that it uh, rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and the nation of Israel wandered in the For 40 years, and Goliath challenged the nation of Israel for 40 days, and both Moses and Elijah were in the wilderness for 40 days, and now here's Jesus being tempted, being tested 40 days, out there being tempted by the devil. Now, we could say, why is he out in the wilderness? Why is he out there? It says, being tempted by the devil. Well, there's a couple of things to think about. You know, there's some people who say there is no devil. Well, there's a devil. There's a devil, and there's God, and there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's angels. There's a fallen angel, the devil. We'll talk more about him in just a minute. But it says for 40 days being tempted by the devil. I want you to understand that if you thought Jesus went out there, was out there for 40 days, and then at the very end the devil shows up and says, um, I'm here to tempt you. <laughs> you know, that's not what it was. For 40 days, the whole time period that Jesus was out there, the devil was tempting him. And that's what it says. It says, and it says, uh, uh, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And I want you to understand something. When these three temptations are over that we're going to see this morning, it says that the devil left, left him to return at an opportune time. The whole time that Jesus was on the earth, that three, three and a half year time period in which he had his ministry, he was content continually tempted by the devil now here's the question tempted to do what what does it mean tempted we're going to see in just a minute what these temptations were. What did the devil want Jesus to do? And we're going to see that it's the same thing he wants us to do. And we'll tie that together. Notice, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So understand, this was not a one-time temptation. This was ongoing. Now, let's talk about the word temptation for just a second. We, we want to think about it. When you see the word temptation or tempted, it can be used to ways in the scripture. This same Greek word can sometimes mean tested for approval. It means that you're tested like somebody gives you a test and says, here, I know you're going to make a hundred, you've studied, you've done well, here, take the test. You make a hundred. They say, see, I knew you would do it. It was not testing you to do wrong. It was testing you to show that you could do right. That word can be met. The second word, the second time it's used, or many times it's used, to be tempted to do something wrong. This is what we're going to see in this passage. The devil wants to tempt Jesus to do something wrong. Well, let's think about temptation for just a second. Let me give you three questions to think about. First of all, what is temptation? Number two, why was Jesus tempted and and could he have sinned? And number three is how do we deal with temptation? Well, let's start with the first question. What is temptation? Well, temptation literally is the pull to do wrong. We know that we live in a fallen world. We have the flesh, which is the natural bent to sin. And when our flesh uh, comes in contact with this fallen world, which is controlled by the devil, we are tempted and pulled to go contrary to God's word. That's what temptation is. It's to go to do wrong, to go contrary to the word of God. The word of God tells us things that are right and things that are wrong, and we are tempted to go contrary. Contrary to the scripture Temptation is not sin When you are tempted you are not sinning The Bible said Jesus was tempted in all points Yet without sin So to be tempted to do wrong Is not the same as doing wrong You do wrong when you yield to the temptation And do something wrong So what is temptation? It is a pull to do wrong Second big question is Why was Jesus tempted And could he have sinned? Well, the second big point here is why was Jesus tempted? I think there's a couple of things. Number one is to prove that he indeed is the sinless, perfect Son of God. That's why he was tempted. He put these shows in the passage that as the temptations came, he did not yield to them. There's a second reason, I think, that he was tempted. And that is the book of Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that verse 18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which all that he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. He was tempted so he can help us when we are tempted. The Bible says we're to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can find help in the time of need. So the bottom line is he was tempted to prove that he's the Son of God and to be able to help us. The question is often asked, could Jesus have sinned? And there's been debates throughout history on it. Some people say, well, yeah, he's, he's man, so if he's man, he could sin. You have to remember something that I think is powerful. Jesus wasn't half man, half God. He was fully God, fully man. We call that the hypostatic union. We talked about it back in Luke chapter 2. How God became a man The God man There's nobody like him And I think that Jesus Christ Could not sin Because he is the perfect Sinless son of God Even though he's human At the same time He is 100% God 100% human I do not believe He could have sinned Some people think he could I do not think so Uh, So uh, when I answer the question Could Jesus have sinned I think no Now that takes us To the third big question And that is How do we deal with temptation I'm going to give you Some things to think about How do we deal with temptation First of all realize that we'll be tempted. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 it says that, that that all temptations are common to man. So when you're tempted just realize it's going to happen. Every one of us in this room you know that there are going to be temptations come in your life that are pulling you to do wrong. So number one, realize it's going to, that you're going to be tempted. Number two, B is know that we can have victory. 1 Corinthians 10 13 also tells us that God will provide a way of escape. That he'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with that way provide a way of escape so you don't have to fall God provides a way that takes us to the third thing And that is you have to know the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you know the Scripture, you know what's right. When temptations come, it'll help you have victory. We're going to look in the passage and realize that in every one of the temptations, Jesus uses the Word of God. We talk about memorizing Scripture. I have a group of men that meet on Wednesday morning, another group of men that meet on Thursday morning. We have a and They memorize verses. My men on Wednesday and Thursday morning memorize verses we don 't memorize verses just to say we memorize these verses. We memorize those verses so that we can hide them in our hearts so that we will not sin when the temptations come. You must know the scripture, you must put it in your life, and you must apply it when the times comes there 's the fourth thing that we do in temptation: how do we do with temptation? put on god 's armor. Ephesians talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you may stand. We're in a spiritual battle. Our enemy is not human beings. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. The devil controls the fallen world system. The fallen world system affects your flesh. Enemy is not unbelievers. Your enemy is the devil in the fallen world system in your flesh. And so put on God's armor so you can stand. And then last but not least, flee. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. There are times that the very best thing to do is just say, I'm out of here. We saw it with Joseph when Potiphar's wife grabbed him. He just said, I'm out of here. I can't stand here any longer. And there are some times in your life when temptations come, the very best thing to do is just get out. Do not put yourself in that situation. Get out as quickly as you can. So we'll talk more about how to deal with temptation a little bit toward the end. We want to have victory. Well, let's see. What did Jesus do? Notice it says that for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now, the devil is the fallen angel. He's sometimes called Lucifer. He's sometimes called son of the morning. He guarded the throne of God. He was removed because of his sin, because of his pride. He wanted to be like God. The name devil is Diablos in Greek. It means the slanderer. It means the liar. That's why John 6.44 says the devil is a liar. He's always been a liar. The word Satan, sometimes people talk about Satan. It means adversary. It comes from the Hebrew word Hasatan, which we take Satan from that, and it means the adversary. We live in a fallen world which affects our flesh, which is controlled by the whole devil. It's just powerful. Now, how did Satan tempt Jesus? Notice, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. What did he want Jesus to do? Well, it's very simple. He wanted Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. See, Jesus said, I did not come to do my own will, I came to do the will of the Father. He came to this earth not to carry out his desires, but to do the will of the Father. And what Satan wanted Jesus to do was to go contrary to the will of the Father. If he went contrary to the will of the Father, it would be sin. And if he sinned, he would not be eligible to be our Savior. So that's what Satan wants Jesus to do. Listen, we've already read it. You know he says, take a stone and make it bread. Is there anything inherently wrong with saying, here, take a stone and make it bread? The answer is no. But what would make it wrong to make a stone bread? is because he'd be going against the will of the Father. Let me show you how it fits and we'll see that. Devil wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to go contrary to the will of the Father. The will of the Father is found in the word. So all he wants you to do is to be caught up into this world and do what the world says rather than what the word says. He just wants you to fall. Let's see the first temptation. Here it is. It says, uh, notice it says, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Now you realize he was in the wilderness for 40 days and did not eat. Now, you're going to be pretty hungry if you don't eat for 40 days. I mean, there are a lot of us that that we haven't eaten in three hours. And we go, I'm pretty hungry, you know. Three hours. This is 40 days. And so it says he's been in the wilderness for 40 days. He ate nothing. And when those 40 days were up, he became hungry. Notice. And the devil said to him. I want you to see. Here's the first temptation. And it deals with a physical desire. There is nothing wrong with Jesus being hungry. There's nothing wrong with Jesus eating. But the Holy Spirit has led him out here. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, and the Spirit has him out here. He has not eaten. He has not eaten for 40 days. He is having to trust the Father to decide when to eat. The Father is in control. He didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father. Look what Satan wants him to do. Verse three. And the devil said to him, "If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread." Now, I want you to see this first temptation has to do with fulfilling a physical desire. Jesus is hungry. You'd say, well, there's nothing wrong with eating. I mean, nothing wrong with Jesus made everything. He could just say, okay, bread. I'll make it bread and I'll eat it. I'm hungry. What's the big deal? Because he's got to trust the Father. It is the Father and the Spirit who has put Jesus out in the wilderness. He has not eaten for 40 days. Satan says, hey, do what you want to do. Why are you out here anyway? Why did he let you get so hungry? There's nothing wrong with eating. Go ahead and eat. Now I want you to notice a couple of things. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now when you see that in English, it looks like he's saying, if you're the son of God, maybe you're the son of God, maybe you're not. Well, that's not the way it is in the original language. In the Greek, there's a first class if here, which means if and is true. The devil is not questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God. He is acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, if and it's true, you are the Son of God. And since you are the Son of God and you're hungry, why don't you just tell this stone to become bread? I mean, you you created everything. You you can make bread out of stone. You're the creator. The Father maybe has forgotten you. Maybe the Father forgot that you were out here. I mean, surely He wants you to eat. You're not supposed to go 40 days without eating. And if you are the Son of God, and you are, why don't you just say to that stone, I think I'll be bread, be bread, I'll take it. You can eat. There's nothing wrong with that. Has the Father forgotten him? Is he going to wait on the Father's provision? You know, the same thing happens to us. In this fallen world system controlled by the devil, we, we want certain physical desires fulfilled, and and, and and we fool ourselves and say, well, you know, God really wants me happy, and there's nothing wrong with this desire, and, I mean, God gave me these desires and this, and, and why would I wait this, or why would I wait for the Father to provide? Same thing happens. Look at Jesus' answer, verse 4. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now what did Jesus do? He went to the Scripture. I want you to notice He goes back to the Scripture. He goes to Deuteronomy 8. Now by the way, all three of these temptations, Jesus goes to the Bible three times, and He goes to Deuteronomy all three times. Now I'm sure that's the first book we would all be thinking of to deal with Scripture, right? Deuteronomy. I'm sure everybody's had their quiet time in Deuteronomy this morning, right? Right? Now Jesus goes right to Deuteronomy, and what does he say? Man shall not live on bread alone. See, the issue is not bread. The issue is obedience to the Father. The Father has put him in the wilderness. The Father has let him go 40 days. Jesus is saying, look, the issue is not getting this bread because when it's time for me to eat, the Father will give me food to eat. I have to trust him. Matthew goes on. You don't see it in the Gospel of Luke, but Matthew adds to it. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have to trust God. The same thing happens to us. We have to say, God, I have to trust you in the area of my physical desires that you will provide at the right place, at the right time, in the right way. Jesus says basically to the devil, I know I'm hungry, but I'm trusting the Father that when it's time to eat, he will give me food. One of the other gospels says that when all this is over... The Father sent some angels to minister to Him. Jesus says, bread's not the issue here. It's obedience to the Father. So the first one is physical. And sometimes in our lives, we're going to be tempted to fulfill physical desires that we have. And we must wait on the will of the Father and do exactly what He says based on the Scripture. There's a second temptation and the second temptation has to do with authority and glory, and it has to be with what he sees. Notice this one. And he led him up and showed him, notice, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, here's the second temptation. It has to do with seeing things. It has to do with desiring things that we see, and, and it's all the kingdoms of the world. Satan somehow takes Jesus to a place where they see all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. It's like there they are, and you see all of the kingdoms of the world, and Satan says, "There." all the kingdoms of the world. And they see them all right then. Now before we go any further, I want you to understand who is Jesus? He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He rules over all things. He is the Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector, and Ruler. Now at this point in time, Jesus is not ruling over this earth. He has seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. One of these days, He's coming back to this earth as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and He will rule over this earth. Right now, God has allowed Satan, we're going to see it in just a second, to be the prince of this air and the God of this world. God allows Satan to control the fallen world system. So what does he say? The devil took him up to all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the devil said to him. Notice what he said. I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. He says, aren't you king? Aren't you supposed to be king, Jesus? Well, look, there's the whole world. I'll let you. You can take over and rule the whole world. I'll give it to you right now. You can be the king. All the kingdoms of the world already belong to Jesus. But he must wait until the Father puts all things under his feet. This is not the time. And it's not even the time now. It will be the time in the future. So here's the test again. Is he going to do the will of the Father and wait for the Father to give him the kingdoms? Or is he going to take the kingdoms of the world now? That's the question. The devil says, I'm going to give you all of it now. Because I can give it to whoever I wish. Does he have the right to give it to whoever he wish? God the Father has allowed Satan to be control over the fallen world. There's a little bit more added to it. Notice what he says. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. I'll give it to you if you fall down before me. You know, it is so easy to be pulled by the things of this world and by what we see and be attracted to things that we see and things that we want. It's called the lust of the eyes. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And here is this pull and we're in there and every day we go through this fallen world system and there are things that attract us and pull us and we want them. And here's what Satan is saying to Jesus. He's saying, you want it? Look at it. It can all be yours right now. All you have to do is bow down. How is Jesus going to answer this? Notice verse 8, and we see right here he goes to the Scripture, to the Word of God. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus said, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. It is written, this is God's Word. You shall not worship anything but God. Now let me tell you something. You know what the real problem was here? See, in order for Jesus... To take the kingdoms in the world, he had to go to the cross first. He had to go to the cross before he got the crown. He had to go down on the cross, pay for sin, rise again, and then he would be the king of kings and lord of lords and rule over the world. Satan is saying to him, you don't have to go to any cross. You can be the, kingdom, the king right now. You can take it right now. The real temptation was to go and be the king, have the crown without the cross. And see, that's what Satan would have wanted. He didn't care if Jesus is the king. He just didn't want the sins of mankind paid for. See, if Jesus is the king without the cross, there's no salvation. Jesus has to die on the cross to pay for sin, to be the savior of the world. And this is the real test. Is Jesus going to go to the cross and then get the crown? Or get the the crown without the cross? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only there's only one way and you have to do what the father says and you must go to the cross and then the crown there'll be the lust of the eyes there are going to be things that you want and you have to say to god god if you want me to have that it'll have to be at the right time and in the right way there's one more Look what he does, verse 3, excuse me, verse 9. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, and you are, throw yourself down from here. Here's the third temptation. And the third temptation has to do with pride. Then let me tell you what he did. Notice verse 9 again. He led him to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Now in the temple, in the southeast corner of the temple, there, there's a big wall going around the temple. Temple area, then a big wall going around the temple. And the south East corner, as you as you stand over looking down, it's 450 feet down. You can get on the edge. I've stood there. I stood there in 1976. You look down, and just I mean, even today, modern cars, they're just little bitty. You look down. There were all these people down there. This is the temple area. Satan has Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, "Look, look down there." He says, "Here's what I want you to do." jump off throw yourself over because see if you jump off and throw yourself over notice he quotes scripture now be careful anytime Satan quotes scripture he says if you're the son of God throw yourself down from here why? Verse verse 10 and 11 says for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up so you'll not strike your foot against a stone he says just throw yourself over because God promises that you won't get hurt just jump off and that will show who you are. Because you'll fall 450 feet and hit and you'll be fine. And people will go, my gracious alive! Who? He must be the Messiah. That's who he is. See, there was a tradition that the Messiah would suddenly appear at the temple. There was a tradition. People thought, one day all of a sudden we'll look up and he'll be there. And so Satan is saying, this is how you do it. You fall off the temple, you don't get hurt, and you stand there and everybody goes, that's got to be him. He said, don't you want people to think you're the Messiah? Just jump off. By the way, when Satan quoted, he quoted Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. He didn't even quote the whole verse. He always leaves things out. That's the way he is. So here's the test. Jump off. Show yourself as the Messiah, you know, and this is the pride of life. You want to be Messiah? Show your Messiah. You want to be great? Be great. The pull is to us. The pride of life, you want to be better than somebody else, you want to be important, you want to think you're important, you want to look important, you want to act important. That's the pride of life, that's the pull. By the way, in this story I I knew a friend that uh, she was teaching five-year-old girls. She was telling the story of Jesus being taken to the pinnacle of the temple and, and she said to him And Jesus was on the pinnacle of the temple And the devil told Jesus to jump off And then she looked at the little girls And she said What do you think Jesus said to the devil? The little girl raised her hand And she said What did he say? And she said Dares go first <laughs> Well Jesus didn't say dares go first But he did quote scripture again Look at it, verse 12. Look at the scripture. He goes to Deuteronomy 6:16 6, and says, Jesus said, it is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You don't have to test God. Listen, is Jesus going to have to jump off a building to prove to the people that He's the Messiah? No, he's not. In fact, according to Isaiah 61, the way that he proves he's the Messiah is that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf can hear, the deaf can hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached. That's the signs of the Messiah. The second big aspect of the sign is found in Zechariah 9, 9. The Son of God comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's the sign of the Messiah. He does not have to jump off a building to prove he's the Messiah. See, Satan says, "Do it my way, do it your way." Jesus, don't do it the Father's way. If you don't do it the Father's way, it's sin. All three temptations were to go contrary to the will of the Father, and every time you are tempted, it will be contrary to the Word of God. He will will always—the temptations will come, and it'll always be to go contrary to what the Scripture says. Look how it ends here. Then the devil, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. He's not through. He's going to look for another opportunity. Now let me show you something on the temptations here. The temptations in Jesus were the physical aspect, the flesh, a fleshly desire, a desire of the flesh, authority, that was the the, the eyes of the kingdom. He looked at them and you could have authority. And the last thing was the pride, to be seen as a Messiah. Jesus dealt with all three of these by the word of God. Now, I want you to understand something. Look at the next slide. We are tempted in exactly the same way. 1 John 2.15 says, The temptations of the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We are tempted in a physical realm, the lust of the flesh. We are tempted in what we see and we want to have glory and it's the lust of the eyes and then it's the whole pride of life. We're tempted in the same way. And the only way you're going to have victory is do the same thing Jesus did and that's put the Word of God in your mind and do not go contrary to the will of the Father. Well, let's see the very last part. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. He went back up to the north part to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And by the way, all ministry has to be done in the power of the Spirit. That's the only way you can do ministry. And look what it goes on to say. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did. He would go to the synagogues. We're going to talk about it next week. In fact, next week we see Jesus goes to his hometown, to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And we see what he does. He unrolls the scripture, goes to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and reads half the verse. And rolls it back up and gives it to him. Why did he only read half the verse? We'll see next week. We'll see what He does when He goes and teaches in the synagogues. He teaches in Nazareth, and then He teaches in Capernaum, which is the headquarters. But notice what it said. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. The emphasis I want you to see is Jesus didn't just go talk. Jesus taught the Scripture. That's what He taught. The emphasis when believers gather is not stories. It's the teaching of the Word of God. We have gathered this morning, not for me to tell you a bunch of stories, but for me to teach you the Scripture. That's the goal. That's what Jesus did. That's what He tells us to do. That's why Paul writes, teach the Word in season, out of season. He didn't say, tell them some good stories. He said, teach them the Word of God. That's the key. We must focus on that. Next time, he goes to Nazareth. Let me give you some applications and we'll close. The first one is this. Realize that Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God. That's why he was tempted. He was tempted on all points. That Without sin, we see the three big temptations by the devil. They're all to get Jesus to go contrary to the Scripture and contrary to the will of the Father. But he will not do that. Whether it's something physical desire, some kind of authority, something that he sees, some kind of Messiah power, it doesn't matter. He will not go contrary to God's Word and to the will of the Father. He has that he is able to be our Savior. There's a second aspect for us this morning, and that is let's have victory over temptation in our lives. How do we do that? Well, quickly, if you remember, number one, know that we'll be tempted. It's coming in your life. You know it. You were already tempted probably this morning. You're gonna be tempted before you get out of this building. You're gonna be tempted all through this day and through the rest of your life, you're gonna be tempted. Number two, is know that God has provided an escape. He, you don't have to fall in temptations. See, Know and apply the Word of God. That's why you put it in your brain. That's why you study it. That's why you know it. That's why we teach it. So you can know it and say, I know what's right. I'm not going contrary to the truths of God's Word. The fourth thing there under there is to put on God's armor because you're wrestling not against flesh and blood but against powers, principalities, and spiritual forces in heavenly places. So put on the Word of God so that you can stand. And then last but not least, flee the temptation. There may be times you just have to get out. May we have the victory. Because the enemy is the world, the flesh, the devil. The devil controls the fallen world. The world system affects your flesh. And we are pulled to do wrong. May we have the victory. Finally, last but not least, here's the key. Realize that Jesus taught the Word in the synagogues. And since Jesus taught the Word of God in the synagogues, we have come together to teach the Word of God. We should know it and apply it in our lives. That's the key. May we have victory over temptation as we learn from the temptation of Christ. Let's pray. (laughs) The <laughs> Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you for these great truths, Lord. First of all, we know that Jesus is the sinless, perfect Son of God. He was tempted at all points, yet without sin. We see how he dealt with the devil. We see how those temptations came, and he went straight to the Word of God. And we see that he had victory because he did not go contrary to the will of the Father. Lord, we want to have victory over sin in our lives. We know we're going to be tempted. We know you've provided a way out. May we know the Word of God so we can apply it in our lives, putting on the armor of God, and many times fleeing so we can have victory over temptation. Lord, thank you that Jesus showed us that He taught the Word of God in the temple and in the synagogues. May we do the same thing. May we teach Your Word so that we can know it and make application. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.